On this episode, we bring you a musical theatre news roundup as well as talk about the biggest shows you've never heard of. This is The Oddcast. Welcome to the Oddcast, Ireland's musical theatre podcast, where we bring you the latest news and opinion on all things musical theatre, not just on Broadway and the West End, but right here at home on the Irish musical theatre scene. I am joined, as always, by my co-hosts today, the eager Adam Trundle and Daniel Ryan. Wait a second. Unless you mean Igor. What are you you? What are you doing? We did not discuss this in the production meeting. <laughs> did I say Igor? Or was it Igor? Oh, if it was Igor, as in like, the character from the <laughs> Frankenstein. Never mind. Continue, continue, continue. I thought to myself, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to change this up. I can't keep dreaming up I adjectives forever. I'm just going to have to spread the love to the other twenty-five letters of the alphabet. <laughs> well, it's about Sticking time. The cowl, though, I see. I'm generous like that. <laughs> yeah. Why I, is it? Is that the bit that irks you the most? That it's a vowel rather than <laughs> just sticking within a, a very limited five-letter window. But sure, hey, go for it. Adam's like consonant, please, Keen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the consonant professional. Oh, <laughs> oh mercy, Lord above. Oof. And that's the end of today's episode because Adam ruined it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Well, maybe it was the recent announcements of impending freedom that threw me off with my adjective today because it's it's getting exciting. Yeah. We we're going to soon have the ability to do all sorts of things like get a haircut for a start. I mean, that's the um, only thing. That's the only one I was looking out for. So when can we get a haircut? <laughs> I know well, uh, all the rest of it. Like, oh, you can go out and you can go between counties. You can go stay in a hotel. I like, don't care. When can I cut my hair? Yeah, <laughs> listeners to the podcast won't be aware of my current appearance, but I, I'm starting to look a bit like I was in Uriah Heep or some other kind of <laughs> 70s rock band. I also don't know why I went with Uriah Heep. I think it's kind yeah, of yeah. Really an odd. Never let it be. Never let it be said. We're not trying to. We're not trying to broaden some horizons here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, listen to their 1972 album, Wizards and Demons, um, or whatever the hell it's called. But at least, at least you've got like a parting. Like at least I can, like you know, obviously the listeners can't see, but like mm. at least I can see there's a visible parting in your hair. Whereas, like <laughs> I don't know where, like this is definitely entertaining podcast fair describing <laughs> haircuts <laughs> over audio. Well, like I mean, it was it was actually on my last trip to the barber, which was about ooh, four or five months ago. Yeah, mine told, was in December. Yeah, like he told me that I have a double crown, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. Oh, my guinea pig had one of those. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I mean, like, this is taking the wind right out of my narrative there now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've got a great groomer you can go to, by between, the way. Between guinea pigs <laughs> and apparently the pharaohs of Egypt were the last people to have double crowns as well. So I'm in good company. Well, rodent or royalty, that's where you are. Boom, there we go. Ah. 
What's the difference? That's where you are. Yes, um, whatever you think Dan is, pick your side, email us <laughs> at theoddcast at oddtheatre.com or on Instagram at theoddcast by oddtheatre. I'll put up a poll. Put up a picture. That's really how people are going, <laughs> going to be able to discern whether you're, you're kind of more pharaoh-esque or more guinea pig-esque. I, I know what my money is on, by the way. Pharaoh, please say Pharaoh, please say Pharaoh, please say Pharaoh. Um, I mean, it's not just impending barbers visits and inter-county travel that we are excited about. There has been some activity on the musical theatre front. Has there? Well, that was actually a cue for you to interject to talk (laughs) about the West Side Story trailer, for example. But, you know, oh, I mean, that's what I love about it is that kind of easy, really just <laughs> playing right off each other, finish each other's sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> no, I think we should leave that catastrophe in so that listeners actually know what it's like. <laughs> uh, OK, you, if you want me, I can be more pointed when I do those things. Yeah, if you could like. Point at me and, and then say, Adam, that's your turn to talk. And then, okay. like you usually do. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> so it's not just Barber's visits and the prospect of inter-county travel that we are excited about. There have, Adam, been some developments in the musical <laughs> theatre front. Precious few in terms of, of live theatre and events, though uh, we mm. can look kind of jealously at the UK are getting ever closer to normality in terms of hospitality and entertainment and all of that refurbishment yeah one silver lining is that we have had the trailer drop for the new steven spielberg west side story remake Mm. Um, and it, it looks quite good i mean i still don't think it's going to be as good as the original um based on what i've seen because obviously the 1961 version is an absolute classic winner of 10 academy awards i think yeah at the 1961 like a ridiculous Oscars. yeah phenomenal so it's it's definitely got uh, an awful lot to live up to kind of hard to discern just from a trailer whether it's going to actually hit that bar yeah and it was only a teaser as well it was like a minute yeah it, it does look quite cool like that bit where the shadows of the two gangs are converging in the street and Spielberg's name in the middle of it. I, I was like, I don't want to say I was goosebumps, but I was close. Close enough. <laughs> Chicken ripples, if not quite goosebumps. <laughs> <laughs> it was as close to enthusiastic as I've been in about six months. So I'm uh, about to say that says a lot more about how starved of excitement. Been. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a couple of like, shadows on YouTube are kind ooh. of getting... <laughs> <laughs> getting me riled up for a new movie i mean i'm much more excited for the in the heights movie that is coming this summer which was oh, meant yeah. to come last oh, summer yeah. that's the one i have been waiting for i'm waiting mm. i'm waiting for the soundtrack to drop for that like it's going to be class I, I didn't realize that stephanie beatrice from brooklyn 99 is actually in that mm-hmm. yes i was like what had no idea past. and then i don't know i saw something on twitter and i was like Wait, she can sing? And she can sing. Yeah, it's a phenomenal cast across the board. Mm. Rosa Diaz can do anything. Yeah. Yeah. Jimmy Smits from Star Wars and Dexter, among many, many other career credits, (laughs) is in it as well. And of course, Anthony Ramos is in Mm. it, who was famously John Lawrence Mm. and Philip Hamilton in Hamilton. And Mm. he's 
taking the lead of Uznavi. It's, uh, it's a stonking cast. It looks really, really good. Um, I'm kind of hoping that a combination of In the Heights and West Side Story, you know, heralds in, I'm not going to say another golden age of Hollywood musicals, but at least an age where we get regular Hollywood musicals. <laughs> Silver or bronze even. Yeah, because like <laughs> we've really been starved. People trying to pass off the notion of Chicago as a good movie musical to me. I just, I can't, <laughs> I can't accept it. Some of the newer fare or that Sweeney Todd thing that yeah. Johnny Depp was in. I will just fight you tooth and nail on Chicago, but Sweeney Todd, we can agree. Look, honestly, <laughs> Richard Gere in that movie incredible is honestly no better than Pierce Brosnan and Mamma Mia also incredible I'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> Jesus I mean I forgot Richard about Gere your... is is definitely superior to Pierce but Pierce is having the absolute time of his life and it is impossible not to have fun with him it's like when you go and see a school talent show and none of the kids are good but they're having fun yeah There's, it's a party yeah. <laughs> It's a party. No, and, and I kind of, I'm all right. I'm nearly all right with it with Pierce Brosnan because the whole thing is meant to be stupid. Whereas, <laughs> you know, Richard Gere in Chicago is like dead fucking serious about the whole thing. <laughs> and he's like, no, this is a serious role and I'm taking it seriously. I'm like, you're god awful in it. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, like Russell Crowe in Les Mis as well. Just like, like Russell oh god, just taking it so damn seriously. And you're just like, oh, please stop. Well, the whole Les Mis thing was was an absolute disaster to make because they were singing live on set mm. they would do six or seven takes in a row of full songs and then like they'd move the setup and do another six or seven takes they'd be singing for like six hours on the trot their voices were gone <laughs> but they also did this sort of absurd thing didn't they where they recorded all of the vocals on set and then tried to reverse orchestrate it mm, yes yeah, so like they did the it's orchestrated it after the vocals had been yeah it's not to a click so there's no idea mm-hmm. Just, yeah i like madness I, which i think it's better than tom hooper's other movie musical Cats. Mm. yeah mm. i can't remember was it the guardian that said it was the worst thing to happen to cats <laughs> since dogs i thought that was just a brilliant <laughs> quote but yeah we can at least hope it's going to be better than cats yeah west side story that's a shockingly low bar it, yeah well it's to the bar that needs to be set <laughs> It still needs to be, clear, but you know what? Yeah. It actually fully needs to be cleared at the same time. <laughs> well, you know, they say you're only as good as your last match. And if movie musicals are only as good as their last match, then, you know, they are Plymouth Argyle. Yeah. Like that's, <laughs> that's where they are. Because um, if the last one was Cats, it's a truly dire situation. Yeah. Yeah. There's also in movie musical news, um, there's a Tick, Tick, Boom movie that is currently in post-production. Lin-Manuel Miranda directed it. Yes. Um, it, it'll be on the way at some point in the next year or so, I would reckon. Because this is Jonathan Larson's other musical, other than Rent. Yeah. Tick, Tick, Boom, which didn't wasn't produced on Broadway until, I think, about 2001, so many years after his death. Mm-hmm. But uh, I love that show. It's just a three-hander. Wow, how are they making a film out of it? <laughs> yeah. I'm blown away by the amount of mm-hmm. interest that the film world is now taking in musicals. <laughs> Finally, at long last. So very exciting news on the movie front. I want to turn to our big topic today. And I say big because we have titled this segment, The Biggest Shows You've Never Heard Of. And what we've all tried to do is go away and unearth the biggest brand name shows that perhaps people 
weren't aware were shows. In many cases, these are musicals that opened on Broadway or the West End and have very familiar stories or very familiar titles, but never quite made it. We've all been doing our homework and trying to find some diamonds in the rough. And uh, we'll go back to tradition, Adam. We might start with you. What's the biggest show that you found that you don't think people will have heard of? Obviously, this was probably a little bit more difficult for me in that most shows I haven't heard of. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I I genuinely thought I knew a lot of musical theater before you know we started this podcast and just week in, week out, I've been blown away by the sheer volume of, of things that I don't know. But I do think I found one that most people will have heard of the brand name and the title, but not necessarily realized it was a musical. Uh, and it was on the West End and it was nominated for Olivier Awards. Um, it was Lord of the Rings, the Tolkien book and Peter Jackson movie trilogy from the early 2000s. Jesus. It is obviously one of the best selling books of all time. I think it's in second place to mm. like, you know, of, of fiction books. It's in second to like A Tale of Two Cities which had about a hundred year head start. So it's shifted some serious numbers. There was also a Broadway musical of that, ah. mm -hmm. which I rather like, but um, was critically slammed. So oh. just goes to show my taste. <laughs> yeah. Well, Lord of the Rings has got a mixed bag of reviews. It's kind of, it's one of those things where the majority of people seemed to range from not being a fan of it to actively hating it. But there are kind of... <laughs> I would say about 10% to 15% of the reviewers are diehard fans of it and are absolutely viciously defending it and saying, that, you know, and we're saying it was incredible. You know, I've been trawling through web pages from the early 2000s when this mm. first came out because it was, it was, it first, the first production was in Toronto in 2006 and uh, it was three and a half hours long, which to be fair, if you've seen the Lord of the Rings movies, like that's one of yeah. them. <laughs> it's not a short book. There are two more of them. Yeah, it's over a thousand pages of descriptions of 111st birthday parties and things like that. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then when they transferred it over to the West End, they kind of managed to shave about half an hour, 40 minutes off it. So it was still three hours. <laughs> yeah. And in three acts and a nice. cast of 50 to 60 people on stage, which for a West End oh show God. is ludicrous. Absolutely Absolute madness. But yeah, as I said at, at the top, it was nominated for five Olivier Awards, um, including Best New Musical, which it lost to Hairspray. It, it also... <laughs> Sorry, uh, what was the year? It was 2008. Oh, good old Olivier's. Mm. Good old Olivier's. <laughs> <laughs> but half a decade behind the rest of the world. Yeah. <laughs> um, and hell. then it was also nominated for a bunch of, of kind of various technical awards best set design costuming lighting and sound but it lost a couple mm. of them to various other plays and musicals but one of them being warhorse you know they were kind of yeah a little bit you know unlucky in terms of timing had they been a year before or a year later you know they might have swept up in those categories but obviously warhorse hugely famous for its technical yeah. aspects i mean it's sort of in a way mind-boggling that something like this didn't take off because when you look at how Harry Potter has done on Broadway, for example, mm. you're looking at something with a kind of a similar diehard fanatical fan base, which has managed to keep these plays. And I don't doubt necessarily that they're good plays, but keep 
them alive for a long, long time on the professional stage. And you would have expected, like, the Lord of the Rings musical is so peripheral to musical theater culture. I know I do have to confess, I did hear about it, but honestly, only about six months ago. And this thing came Mm -hmm. out in 2007. And I am also a massive Lord of the Rings fan, which pairs well with my chess team antics from the last episode. <laughs> yeah, you know, well, I, I mean, if if you haven't gotten to know me by now, you're building a pretty good uh, image of, of, of my persona. But for someone who's like massively into Lord of the Rings and massively into musicals to have not heard about this thing for like a decade of hardcore involvement in both <laughs> is sort of, it's crazy. It's mad. I I kind of wonder if it is a victim of timing in that like you would think on the face of it that being four or five years directly after mm. the Lord of the Rings film trilogy kind of was in cinemas, you would think that's the perfect time to strike so that it's still mm. you know really fresh in, in the public imagination. But I think because mm. those films were so well received and, you know, in particular, the music, like it swept mm. the Oscars in terms of in terms of everything. But, you know, included yeah. in that was was the soundtrack, Howard Shore's soundtrack for that trilogy of films yes. you know is is you know one of the most iconic and famous and celebrated uh, film soundtracks like of all time and as well as that there are some great songs featured in the films both kind of within the narrative of the film but also the end credit songs have you have Enya mm. you have Annie Lennox who are performing these massive again Oscar winning songs so it's kind of one of those things where maybe the expectation going in was that it was going to be a musical adaptation of the films as opposed to Mm. what it was, was a musical adaptation of the book. Yeah. And so, you know, obviously they can't cram nine hours of film into a three hour musical. So they have to make a lot of cuts. You're right in saying that because that score is so iconic, it's hard to envisage a musical score that doesn't incorporate those motifs. It would be like if you came up with a James Bond musical and you didn't use the Monty Norman theme. You just went back and said, oh, no, we're doing an adaptation of the books. It has nothing to do with mm. the mm. films. You know, yeah. you just, all of those iconic songs, you can't really discard them. But the other thing is that it must be incredibly, and I can't think of an example of it because I think we dealt with the fact that theater just doesn't seem to do sci-fi particularly well. But to represent those huge fantasy scenes on the stage and those huge set pieces from the novel, you can't help but feel it can only be a poor representation of it on stage. Yeah, I mean, there were reviews that said it's a stage spectacle and I can't imagine how Mm. you would do it any other way if you were going to put it on stage, which I guess kind of has implied in it that it shouldn't be on stage, it's too big. And it was kind of the issue. It's why there wasn't really a proper stab at a film adaptation until you know, the late 90s, early 2000s, because the special effects just wasn't there for the scale of the story. Yeah, because they did an animated thing in the 70s, or at least partly. Exactly. um, Which is about the only way that you really could have attempted something like that. Exactly. And, you know, at the time, animation was very firmly, you know, a children's medium, which, you know, to an extent it still Mm. is, but at the time, so it it didn't really quite cover the breadth of of the story. But, you know, it's not to say that they didn't try to, to solve that technical quandary when they put this together it had a 25 million pound sterling budget 
up front. Oh my god! Um, and then an additional Whew. ten million pounds or thereabouts when they revamped it for the West End. So they threw money at the various oh. problems, you know. Um, and <laughs> Jesus. As well as that, nothing like throwing good yeah. money after bad. Absolutely. I nearly want to see that. I nearly want to see that first production because, like, how could you spend twenty five million and it still needs another ten million to fix it? I'm like, what yeah. did you do? You're exactly. like, yeah, 10 they made us need the act, act three. That spider that turns up in Act three it was made from solid yeah. gold. We don't know <laughs> we why, to, but we need to drop another eight figures on this because <laughs> you know, first twenty five. Like that's that's mad. Yeah, Jesus. and and they put together. So suffice to say that. Um, it's unlikely to make many appearances on the musical <laughs> society circuit. I would think so. I mean, you'd need, God, how many table quizzes is, is 25 million pounds? <laughs> <laughs> Depends on how good the table quiz is. Yeah. It's, it's at least 250,000 right. thereabouts. Yeah. Um, so if society wants to, wants to fundraise for the next 20 years, maybe, and try and do it, yeah, that's a possibility. Absolutely. It's, it's just mind-boggling. Yeah, it's a ridiculous figure for now for a film that would barely make you a film, but for a stage production, that's mm. that's madness. Like they also put together quite a stellar creative team. It was actually it was produced in you know, or co-produced by a guy called Kevin Wallace, who is actually born in Limerick. So there is an Irish connection there, and he he's London based. He he was a producer with the Really Useful Group for for quite some time. Oh, know, the whistle it down the wind. Andrew Lloyd Webber's outfit. Yeah, exactly. Whistle down the wind. That the name of that? Yeah, Whistle Down it's the Wind like is his show, yeah. Um, and uh, The Beautiful Game and a couple of other Andrew Weber productions were, were kind of in his wheelhouse. So they put together a really good creative team, you know, featuring the same director as Matilda and Ghost. That's what he went on to do after this, a guy called Matthew Warkus. Um, and then the music was actually composed by uh, a guy called A.R. Rahman, who is mostly a film composer very active in bollywood isn't he, isn't he the, but yeah i was gonna say isn't he slumdog millionaire yes exactly yeah. so so you know good clearly, trivia knowledge you know. <laughs> yeah that'll serve you well in one of the two hundred and fifty thousand table quizzes I think. yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, i think he turns up in the because he turns up in the video for jai ho i think he, he does, actually, yeah. He, he, he sings does. the original one and then obviously the pussycat dolls you know, ah. made it commercially viable ah. but <laughs> Yeah, nothing yeah. like Nicole Scherzinger to lend that commerciality to a tune. Absolutely. If in doubt, put a pussycat doll in it. So, yeah, I suppose there's not much left to say about it other than kind of touch more on what the critical reception actually was like. So it, it managed to run for about a year, which, I mean, is not exactly a flop by any stretch when you consider there are West End shows no. that have closed on opening night. Famously, there was an Oscar Wilde musical that, that opened for one night and closed and i know this because i discovered lord of the rings when i googled musicals that are not well known and there was a guardian <laughs> top 10 article which featured a number of them uh, and this was number one on the list so thanks that's... thanks for giving us your research trail there. <laughs> <laughs> you know okay, so listeners if you want to know how the sausage is made there you go um, <laughs> google that's that's how we do it <laughs> exactly um so there are Almost all the reviews kind of praised the actors, in particular, the actor who played Gollum was in for a huge amount of praise. So as I can imagine, that's a hugely difficult part to play on stage. It's kind of a, a Jekyll and Hyde type of a situation where you're having conversations with yourself on top of the physicality of having to crawl around. And particularly since Andy Serkis's 
portrayal of it in the movies mm. is obviously very iconic. Exactly. And uh, Michael Tierro was the guy who portrayed Gollum. He, he was from the original Canadian production and transferred across with it. He was the only actor who did. And obviously it's because he had, he had you know, put in such a serious performance in uh, Toronto in the original. But after that initial praise of the actors, uh, one of the reviews went on to say it was uh, that those talented people had wasted their time and talent at combining tiresome grandiosity with mind-rotting mediocrity. Wow. Which is quite the... the so how did he feel about it? Did he like it? Yeah. <laughs> Tell me how you really feel. Yeah. <laughs> Get off the fence, man. Yeah. <laughs> There's you know, another review which kind of spoke to the technical difficulty of, of actually putting it on stage, which actually I should say, you know, with all those bodies running around and all that, you know, amazing set, during one of the previews, mm. um, one of the ensemble broke their leg in between two pieces of moving scenery and it was... A number of minutes oh. before people realized that the screaming was not actually part of the battle segment, but it was in fact the actor shouting, my oh, leg, no. my oh, leg. God. <laughs> um, oh, God. And obviously that shut it down for a couple of days while they uh, fixed that. Find the leg by the sound yeah. of it. <laughs> <laughs> no, he made a full recovery and then amazingly rejoined the production once his leg had healed. Oh, wow. Well, that's a oh, surprisingly happy ending to that story. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then broke it. No, he did. <laughs> First day back, and he. <laughs> In view of that extreme difficulty of production, there was one review said people said it couldn't be done. They were right. <laughs> oh, no. God. A one star review. But there were, you know, the valiant defenders of this people saying that snobbery and criticism be damned. This show is a wonder. And there were people as well who called it ingenious and the definitive mega musical. So, okay, mixed bag, bit of a mixed bag. It's certainly a very surprising <laughs> entry. There's Absolutely. no doubt about that. And allegedly, there is talks of a new production as of 2021. Kevin Wallace, the aforementioned producer, is planning to bring it back again. Mm. Obviously, has had his quarter of a million table quizzes and is ready to go again. <laughs> I was about to say he's been raising some yeah. money somewhere. Quite a lot of it by the sounds of things. <laughs> very, very interesting. All right. Well, Dan, what has your Googling uncovered? What <laughs> nice. was number two on that Guardian article? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's how it works. I sent a screenshot into our WhatsApp group. I was like, are you doing this one? No. Okay, I'll do this. <laughs> uh, I, too, I too have gone uh, with a movie that I don't think mm. a lot of people will know is uh, a musical. Um, and, and the musical that I have picked is uh, Freaky Friday, the musical. Oh, classic. Freaky Friday. Freaky Friday. But when in doing research, for this, I didn't realize that there's actually been three movie versions of that, uh, of it. So it, it was originally, it's originally a book published in 1972. And there was a... 1975 uh, version done first, uh, which actually starred uh, Jodie Foster. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And then there was a further remake in the kind of the late 90s, I think, um, which starred Shelley Long, uh, who was best known from the TV series Cheers. But if you're oh. also a fan of the uh, Brady Bunch movie, which we're massive fans of in our house because it's an absolute mm -hmm. classic, uh, she played the mom. She played Mama Brady in in the Brady Bunch movie. She uh, also plays Tom Hanks's wife in a movie called The Money Pit, which nice. I really like. Nice. Which I'd recommend go check out. 
Mopshed. It's like most of Tom Hanks's movies. It's very inoffensive, but it's yeah. quite funny. <laughs> Just a nice watch. Just a nice watch. Um, and it also starred um, Gabby Hoffman as well, who I think uh, people might know from the TV series Transparent. Um, and then, of course, the the most recent film adaption of it, which I think is probably the one that a lot of our listeners would know best, uh, which is the version with Jamie Lee Curtis and Lindsay Lohan from 2003, which is mm. another absolute, like, cla- like, that's such a classic movie from your childhood watching Freaky yeah, yeah. Friday. Like, it's right up there. Uh, so after three, after doing three, three movie adaptions, Disney were like, let's try something different with it. So <laughs> they decided to do, uh, so they've done a, a stage musical version of it, which, uh, first premiered in 2016, I think it was late 2016. Now it was written or rather that the, uh, the music and the lyrics were done by, um, Tom Kish and Brian Yorkie, who people might best know they're, they've kind of, they've worked together over the last, you know, probably 10, 15 years, but some of their better known work, and it was a very, Freaky Friday is the real outlier in their work because I think their first collaboration together was a musical called Next to Normal. Great show. Which is a really good show. Great It's a a great, there's kind of a great rock score to it. And it's a, I mean, it's a very, it's a heavy enough musical, like, you know, and I think it's it's, it's one of only, it's one of only 10 musicals to actually win the, the Pulitzer, Pulitzer Prize for Best Drama. Mm. and but like i said you know it deals with some kind of heavy issues kind of like you know a mother a grieving mother you know kind of dealing with kind of bipolar issues you know and and mental health it's it's a very powerful piece and then after that you know they they kind of did a couple of separate projects for a few years and then they worked together again um i think around 2014 2015 before they just before they did this on a on a show called if then which starred adina menzel it did exactly adina menzel um and again kind of you know probably not as as heavy as next to normal but it's still pretty serious you know it's about a a kind of a a newly divorced woman kind of you know coming back to new york city i suppose kind of figuring out what she's got to do with her life you know and, and and stuff like that and again a really a show that kind of resonates with a lot of people so the the natural next step was obviously to do an adaption of freaky friday for the stage naturally naturally (laughs) enough and and again because i think you know having having listened to a bit of next to normal before and a a little bit of if then as well the music for it you know that it's like particularly next to normal like great music and a great show and i just kind of felt like by listening to the soundtrack to freaky friday very 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 good you could easily just pop it on while you're doing stuff but it does kind of feel like a musical that you've already it feels like the music you've already heard before Uh it feels Mm. you know it feels kind of like particularly if you've listened to which obviously came out afterwards so you know maybe they were maybe you could accuse them of plagiarizing but i kind of felt it was like the kind of bit like mean girls but like <laughs> none of the the kind of dramatic in other words some of the some yeah, of the songs yeah. in mean girls are some very like you know big pieces in it it's not like that it's kind of the more softer pieces from mean girls it kind of sounds like an album kind of nearly full of those but very listenable i very much enjoyed it <laughs> um but um, ouch is very much dam- damning with faint praise. <laughs> damning with faint praise. Very, a very nice listen. A very nice listen and a very eminently good listenable. I did, Dan Ryan. <laughs> I didn't have to turn it off. Exactly. <laughs> Surprisingly I woke, adequate. Yeah. I woke up and it was still playing. Um, <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> Uh, and uh, so in this, because I think this kind of in each version of in kind of the movie versions of Freaky Friday, I think it kind of the story changes a bit. Um, as I certainly know from the the 2003 one with Jamie Lee Curtis and Lindsay Lohan. I think like Jamie Lee Curtis is just like a high powered business mm. lady. I think mm-hmm. Lindsay Lohan's some kind of like, you know, emo rocker chick. Something it's like a that. bit like a star is born, you know, with every generation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. they, they update the story. Old, yeah. tale as old as time 
exactly same same but different um so in in this version of it uh the mother Catherine, she's a wedding planner but she's also getting married herself um the next day so she's like both getting married oh, that's and, very musical theater yeah. i know it's, it's very good isn't it <laughs> And in actually in the 2016 version, so it was played by a woman called Heidi Blickenstaff, who was in the original company of a show that we like an awful lot, Title of Show. She's one of the, yes. the four players from a show which we're big ah, fans of. I knew her name Great kind show. of familiar. Exactly. She is the she is the Heidi from Heidi. <laughs> and she's also she also went on to be in uh, Something Rotten as well on, on Broadway. Um, another which, phenomenal which another show. fantastic show so she's got she's got a good good cv there and then playing opposite her playing the part of ellie the daughter uh, was a girl called emma hunton which sounds very like emma bunton but it's not emma bunton it's emma hunton <laughs> just to be clear emma bunton not part of the <laughs> just show. to be clear emma bunton not attached um, <laughs> and yeah i mean like i said obviously a very a different same same but different you know it plays out obviously you know if people if, if you're unfamiliar with the story of freaky friday Obviously, a mother and a daughter, you know, are kind of, mm. you know, taking each other for granted, always constantly at odds. And through the the magic, in this case, of magic of musical theatre, but just in general, through magic, they end up kind of swapping bodies and they end up basically having to live each other's life for a day. Thus gaining a new perspective. Exactly. And a new appreciation for exactly. each other. Before you... <laughs> beautiful. <laughs> that, that was so, like, Disney tagline at the end of it. Like, you know, that was beautiful. <laughs> I know. I, I write trailer quotes on the side. It's my exactly. side hustle. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Walk a, before you judge someone, walk a mile in their shoes and... Even if you don't, you know, you still are a mile away and then you have their shoes. live in their body by the power of Disney <laughs> magic. <laughs> exactly. But like I said, same, 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 but different. And has never, uh, never made its way to the bright lights of Broadway. Um, I think there was a, a recently yeah. enough, you know, they did, they did a couple of out of town runs, as we like to say in the biz. And then kind of, they also, with the, I think to coincide with the launch, I might be talking at my backside here. I was going to say, no, with the go launch ahead. I mean, we, I was, we all do that as part of this show as a general rule. So I was going to, I was going to say something to do with Disney plus, but it wasn't exactly. Basically they then did a, a movie version of the musical, which is based on the <laughs> m- movie, which is based on the book. This is like your high school musical, the series, the musical. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so they did, they did a kind of a, a TV version. I think it was kind of a shortened down version, but based mm. on the, the musical version of it. And then kind of after that, to kind of go inside of that, they obviously, you know, they've said that there is no immediate plans to send it to Broadway, but, you know, the door is always open. Except not right now. Except not right now. Very much not open right now. So so that was the one that I came across that I was surprised is a musical. Yeah. Based on a, something that a lot of people will know and a lot of people will be very mm. familiar with, but I don't think people would have be aware that, that it is a, no. a musical. I had never heard of it before. Hmm. I wonder, was it eclipsed by Mean Girls? Did they go like, you know, like the Lindsay Lohan brand of, you know, they didn't want to, they didn't want to compete directly with Mean Girls and like, let's not have two musical versions of Lindsay Lohan films from the noughties on Broadway at the same time. <laughs> You're only allowed one. Exactly. Broadway can't <laughs> handle more than one, like, yeah, open a wormhole. I mean, 
if they put together a Cars musical, we're all fucked. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Cars? Oh, sorry. Herbie. I'm thinking about I'm Herbie. I say, you mean Herbie. Oh. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking about. <laughs> I went straight to trying to think how that would work. I just went straight to yeah. being like, oh, it could be like Starlight Express. That could it was be like Herbie cool. fully loaded. That's it. Oh. Yeah. But actually, that's yeah. another remake, isn't it? That is a remake. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Disney and the Naughties were phoning it in. I think, I suppose, if I was to guess why it mightn't have, I suppose, be as, you know, what I would have said before they did Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief that, you know, doing shows that are very much geared towards a younger audience. I'm not really sure Broadway goes for that that much anymore. I don't but, know. Like Aladdin's been running for a long time. Exactly. You have the likes of, well, like outside of traditional Disney, that kind of, you know, because mm. you, you'll get that obviously young kids going to that, but you'll get people like, you know, like me who are like, oh my God, remember that from my childhood? I'm going to see it. Yeah, yeah. You know, whereas, well, I mean, again, I'm, I'm a terrible person to use an example of this, but I don't know how many randos you'd have gotten to go see SpongeBob, for example. I would have been there absolutely, like, no bother. But <laughs> again, I would have gouged out my eyes, Oedipus <laughs> the King style. There we go. Before, that's it. <laughs> that's what I was going for. to SpongeBob. Like, <laughs> it, its existence, as far as I'm concerned, is an affront to art. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, and that's the, and our that's, planet is the worst for having it. And, it's, it. and that and that is the type of that's what was that was what I was facing Freaky Friday on Broadway, and they decided they did the right thing <laughs> and decided not to send it there. <laughs> as an as an honorable mention, because it was close, I, I did nearly. I was leaning towards another Disney movie that has a musical but what the parent trap the <laughs> oh <laughs> now there is one again Lindsay lohan oh. she just everything yeah, she touches let's just make a trilogy let's just make a trilogy <laughs> yeah and, and when that where if and when that happens it will make my list but uh this one is actually uh tar, this is actually tarzan the musical oh which, is this the Disney one? The Disney, the Disney version, like of, with the with the Phil Collins, with Phil music Collins, and Phil, Phil Collins did the score for the musical, amazing, as he did for the film, I suppose. As he but. did, which I'm just like iconic. Um, he did the music and the lyrics, but um, yes, I can't remember a single song from it. Though in fairness, Tarzan was oh, probably wrong. it was like 2000 or something. I I was kind of nearly were... starting secondary. I think I did my first job in 19. No, um, it was like <laughs> no, it was um, I I think I was probably coming to the end of the time where I was. And you were yeah. already, you were already onto things like Citizen Kane and. Like the end point for me in Disney is Mulan. I remember watching Mulan. Mm-hmm. And like we had it on tape at home. And then kind of after that, that was kind of it. Yeah. I'm pretty sure they were the same year. <laughs> were they? Oh, no. Tarzan was literally the year afterwards. They were right in the same so time. So you were, I can imagine, you know, you sitting, I am done with these foolish children's movies, mother. Hmm. <laughs> Take them away from me. <laughs> done. <laughs> done now. I am going to read Tolkien and play chess. <laughs> <laughs> well, you see, you joke. But that's <laughs> that's not a million miles away from what actually happened. It, exactly, <laughs> it was just more articulate than that. But it's it's actually it's funny because I I do end up having conversations with people about shows from my child, like Biker Mice from Mars, and think incredible. And you talk to people who are literally like a year or two younger to you, than you, and they have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. And it's just these things that exist for like 
this tiny period in your life where you're super into this one thing and then you get six months older and it's now gone. Yeah. Mm. But what, Tarzan never appeared on Broadway? No, it did. It actually did. It ran oh. for it ran for about a year, I think, on Broadway. And it was actually, it was nominated for a, a single solitary Tony Award um, for best for best lighting design huh. in a musical. But coming back to, to Adam being able to make an Irish link to Lord of the Rings, the show was directed and the set was designed by Irishman Bob Crowley. The infamous oh, Corkman the, Bob Crowley. Absolutely. Multiple Tony Award winner. But uh, so that's a little little Irish link there. But uh, yeah, it, I think it must have had some kind of difficult kind of getting it onto the stage because it ran mm. for 486 performances, which is not that long. But it right. had like a, a, a good t- length of time right. in previews before that as well. Like, you know, I'm so surprised I haven't really had awareness of that. Because you, you think of the Disney musicals and you're like Beauty and the Beast, Lion King, Aladdin. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's kind I'd, of it. And I'd say that's probably why it's actually just nearly been kind of like buried away. I'd say Disney were like, no, because they're literally just back to back to back. They would have gone like, you know, Beauty and the, like you said, Beauty and the Beast. So that's my, my honorable mention. I assume it's not available for licensing if a society wanted to do it. I think it's one of those ones you probably see it if you're scrolling down and then, yeah, yeah. but you click into it and be like, not available in the UK and Ireland. You're like, well, that's where I live. So, you know, yeah. that's no good to me. I have a feeling the insurance yeah. might not. But if you're, if you're, but if you're, if you're, if you're, yeah, but if you're in the Czech Republic, <laughs> yeah. you know, right on ahead. If you, if you want to just move the whole society to the north of France for a year, you can get it done. But that's fascinating. I'm, I wasn't aware that Tarzan was, and, and the fact that it's the Tarzan one as well, mm. or Freaky Friday for that matter right i guess it's my go yeah if you if you if, if you if you've got one there I'm not going to say it's the um polar opposite of the 400 odd performances of tarzan but this is a show that closed after four previews Ooh. but it is a name <laughs> that everybody will have heard of okay and it is a musical adaptation of truman capote's very famous novella breakfast at tiffany's oh no way okay breakfast at tiffany's premiered in 1966 and as i said crashed out after four performances and those were even previews not even proper (laughs) performances it closed in december and it's probably the most iconic way you could close a show because Mm -hmm. its producer david merrick who was this infamous broadway producer had done a ton of stuff he's like nine tony awards just for musicals and he's done stuff like Oliver and Hello, Dolly. But he, on the day it closed, he took out an ad in the New York Times. He's shutting down the production, which said, rather than subject the drama critics and the public to another excruciatingly boring evening, oh I am closing this production. <laughs> what a way to take out your own show. Jesus. Wow. It's one of those things that kind of like a lot of these musicals that never really worked, it has on paper the hallmarks of a musical that definitely should have worked. And it's such a famous name that you think like musical societies should be performing this up and down the country because it is kind of a guaranteed seller, right? You put on Breakfast at Tiffany's, you think... Well, people are going to come to that. Most mm. people will know Breakfast at Tiffany's from the very iconic Edward Blake movie starring Audrey Hepburn and 
think it's George Peppard. Hannibal from the A-Team. <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> but like has a host of others in it, like Mickey Rooney and Patricia Neal. But it's, it was this massive hit movie. Everybody knows that sort of iconic image of Audrey Hepburn in the black dress and the black gloves with the mm-hmm. cigarette, with the, you know, long filter. But they decided a number of years after that movie came out, which, as I said, was based on that Truman Capote novel. And Truman Capote is, you know, one of these iconic figures in 20th century American literature and wrote probably my favorite book in cold blood, which is Mm -hmm. brilliant. So if anybody hasn't read it, go read it. But he wrote this novella, which I think was serialized in Esquire magazine uh, after he had a bit of a falling out with variety. And it obviously became this smash hit, got um, a film adaptation in 61. And they decided, you know what, this is a massive cultural smash. We're going Mm. to bring this to, to the stage on Broadway. So they get David Merrick on board to produce it, who, as I said, was this titanic figure in Broadway productions. And they get a number of really, really top quality people into their creative team. So Bob Merrill, who people will know probably is the lyrics writer for Funny Girl and Sugar, which he he did with Jules Stein, but is also an uncredited songwriter in Hello, Dolly, and wrote this hit parade across the 50s of songs, which a lot of people will know. Like, he wrote How Much Is That Doggy in the Window? Oh. (laughs) That That Patty Page song. And he wrote Mambo Italiano, which was popularized by Rosemary Clooney, and then a host of other people. And he's the lyricist for these songs, is he? No, he's, he's the composer of these songs. But oddly, he couldn't play a musical instrument. So he used to get this hmm? toy xylophone, and he used to hammer out what the songs were into a recorder. And then he'd give them to an orchestrator, and they'd do it for him. I think Lionel Bart did something similar. Uh, like Lionel Bart famously, who who wrote Oliver, couldn't read or write music. And he would just like hum into this recorder and then he would send it off and someone else would do arrangements for him. Amazing. But he, he'd come up with obviously like all the melodies. So he was this huge figure. The book was originally written by a Burroughs who won a Pulitzer Prize for writing the book for how to succeed in business without really trying. But he also co-wrote uh-huh. Guys and Dolls. Wow. Okay. Which was listed for the Pulitzer Prize for Drama, coming back to Pulitzer Prizes, <laughs> in 51. But because A. Burroughs was being investigated by the Congressional Committee on Un-American Activities, you know, ah, the yes. Senator McCarthy one, mm. investigation into communism, it never was awarded and he never got his Pulitzer that year. But the production ran into a whole host of troubles and eventually A. Burroughs was ditched. The book was then given to another incredibly famous American dramatist, Edward Albee, who won three Pulitzer Prizes Mm. for A Delicate Balance, Seascape, and most recently Three Tall Women. But he's probably best known for writing the Tony Award winning play, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? Whoa. And He's kind of this figure in absurdist drama in the US. He's incredibly influential. But despite tryouts in in Philadelphia and Boston, New York was a disaster. I think the New York (laughs) Times described it as like attempting to herd cats. (laughs) Is how they described how scattered the entire show was. And I mean, how can you try and get to the bottom of it? 
it hasn't really been revived. It was revived in, I think, in 2013 in Broadway, starring actually Amelia Clark of Game of Thrones oh, fame oh, as Holly Golightly. Yeah. This is just like name dropping central. Everything to do with this musical is <laughs> just like famous people left, right, and center attached to it. And it popped up in the West End um, with actually Pixie Lot as Holly Golightly. Oh yeah, I can see why. I can see why it tanked. So. But- <laughs> It's one of these shows that you just look at and you go, everything was in its corner. It had yeah. absolutely everything going for it. And th- I mean, the songs aren't, aren't even bad, but it pro- it's probably difficult to discern what really went wrong or why, why it's so slammed. I think if you've seen or read Breakfast at Tiffany's, Holly Golightly, as her name suggests, is kind of this ephemeral almost mysterious figure. She has a quality of mystique to her. Mm. There's no question that when you open your mouth to sing a song, (laughs) you lose a whole host of mystique. (laughs) Because you, you have to pour forth these orchestrated soliloquies of your innermost thoughts. And it probably just doesn't really work because it's all about the unnamed writer's kind of growing obsession with Holly Golightly and he's kind of a proxy for Truman Capote mm-hmm. but he never gets that close to her and it I think a musical it it probably can't really work like that it can't really maintain that kind of mystique about a character in the same way so perhaps that's one of the reasons that it didn't work but who's to say I don't know I I, I can see it working I I feel like if anything it has a better chance of working now in that there's like such a sense of nostalgia for now, admittedly mm. for most people who are watching it now, or, you know, in my own mm. case, I don't really have a genuine nostalgia for 1961. I mean, it was a considerable amount of time before I was born, mm. but like when you watch something that's kind of old and classic, the, the, you know, you, you get this sense of mm. like that rose tinted glasses view of the past where you go, the style was better. The cars were cooler. The apartments are bigger, do you know? The style was definitely better. Whatever about the other ones. (laughs) One thing I really regret is the death of the ability to wear a hat in public (laughs) as a man, you know, like a proper hat. And not have it knocked off your head by some yobbo. Yeah. No, I... Why can't can't you just get a trilby? Yeah. I've worn hats for musicals before and I'm thanking my lucky stars every day. I don't have to wear hats. I do not have a head for hats. <laughs> I think you can probably trace a direct correlative line between the decline of hats and the decline of civility in society. <laughs> I was going. I was going to say like it was such a simpler time. It was like yeah. if he's if he's wearing a hat, he's an upstanding gentleman and he can be trusted. If yeah. he doesn't own a hat, he can't be trusted. Right? Yeah. So like, so simple. Like 1961 in the middle of Manhattan, no one was calling somebody a prick across the street. No. Like it just didn't happen. <laughs> It's just, it's a different time. <laughs> Think about poor Dan trying to fill a hat on his double crown, like. Exactly, God. Where do you put <laughs> it? <laughs> Which crown? Does it go back to front? Who knows? Just need two of them. My God. <laughs> do, you t- do, you, do you just put them both at a rakish angle? Do you stack yeah. them on top of each other? Wait, wh- what are we doing here? I think of all of those choices, I think I would probably like to see Breakfast at Tiffany's most. Uh, absolutely. Without a shadow of a doubt. You know, and, and the songs are good. There's a recording that was made in 2001. The songs are good. You can go check it out. I'd be interested to see a society take a swing at it. Mm. Because I think you'd get the audience. I think it, it still has such a big name that you would get people to 
turn up to it, even if they don't know it as a musical. Yeah. I think they would mm. be interested to see it because they'll be familiar with, if not even the story, just the brand of it. Yeah, just the because, idea of it, yeah. Like that image of, as I said, Audrey Hepburn with the cigarette, with the gloves, it's so iconic. It, it's everywhere. You can't go through life without seeing it. Yeah. That it's managed to maintain in the same way the kind of iconic cultural status that, let's say, Marilyn Monroe has. There'll be people who've heard of Marilyn Monroe but have no idea that she was an actress or couldn't name a single movie that she was in. And I think, likewise, you could show people that image and they go, oh, that's Breakfast at Tiffany's. You know, mm-hmm. it's just, it's one of those things that kind of almost defies logic in its consistent appeal. Yeah, and look, I mean, it has the power to keep a couple together, as the Deep Blue Something song tells us. it's the one thing they've got i said what about (laughs) breakfast at tiffany's she (laughs) said i think i remember the film as i recall they both kind of liked it (laughs) so it's a very lukewarm review of it to be yeah i will say even if we don't see be it either a professional or a society taking this on I do want to see the mini series about the making of this musical because I feel like <laughs> oh. it would be amazing. And I'm just saying it right here, right now. It belongs to the to the oddcast. Ryan Murphy, get your hands off. It's yeah. ours. Yeah. 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 No, we're we're producing that. You make your mm. chorus as, line. as we're in the humor of giving out uh, honorable mentions. I Go will actually I'll, I'll give you one piece of trivia. Actually, that breakfast at Tiffany's. It starred Mary Tyler Moore oh. as Holly, Holly Golightly. Wow. But it also starred a guy, and people will know Mary Tyler Moore, I suppose, from like the Mary Tyler like Moore show. host Moore of show. things, including the Mary, Mary Tyler Moore show <laughs> and the Dick Van Dyke show before that. Exactly. But, <laughs> and the Buddy Holly the, or the Weezer song, Buddy Holly. <laughs> you're really given that kind of early 2000s music <laughs> references. <laughs> Like the year 2000. <laughs> but also the writer was played by, who I think his name Paul in the musical, but he's, not, he's yeah. unnamed in the book. But anyway, he's played by Richard Chamberlain, who was, apart from being kind of a, a teen heartthrob in the 1960s playing Dr. Kildare, was also the first guy to play Jason Bourne on film. Oh. He played Jason Bourne in a made-for-TV movie called The Bourne Identity in 1988 which was the first adaptation of those books. Yeah. yeah, so there, bit of bit of trivia. But seeing as we're in the mood for honorable mentions, there is a musical version of Gone with the Wind, which oh. was mm. out on the West End a number of years ago. And yeah. also, I think just two years ago, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, which is oh. the adaptation of the F. Scott Fitzgerald Jesus. novella, I think it is. How the hell would you make that? I'll, I'll do I'll do you one better. Who the fuck was making that? <laughs> like, who asked for that? Well, there you go. It got all sorts of rave reviews, by the way. So, Did they employ the Blood Brothers technique of just having the adult play children versions of the same character? I'm not going to lie. I haven't seen it and I don't know, but it just intrigued me that it exists. Mm. So I said, mm. do you know yeah. what? I'll mention it. But yeah, there are a whole host of these things out there. Go waste a day on Google and look up these surprising <laughs> things you didn't know existed yeah. in musical theatre because it, it's quite interesting. Absolutely. Well, I feel educated. I've got two new unheard of musicals now added to my list. Yeah. Try, try and find soundtracks somewhere online. Tell us on Spotify. I'm telling you, 
The Odd Theatre Company, Breakfast at Tiffany's. Stranger things have happened. <laughs> I'll get on the phone to on Taoiseach. I'll figure out what date we're looking at. It's certainly more cost effective than Lord of the Rings. Yeah, probably a bit <laughs> easier to stage. Mm. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of today's episode. If you know of a big name but lesser known musical that you think we've missed, give us a shout by email at theoddcast at oddtheatre.com or on Facebook or Instagram at the Oddcast by Odd Theatre. Until the next time, stay safe, gang.